I'm excited about this series. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Hopefully my voice will last so I can talk to you about it by God's grace. But uh, it's going to be an exciting series. And uh, we're going to be looking at 10 tried and true principles that have worked ever since God gave them. The 10 commandments. Yes, the 10 commandments. Don't panic. Not rules. Not regulations. But the Ten Commandments can bring to your life individually and as a family just great success and great prosperity. I'm not talking about financial prosperity necessarily, but just prosperity of the soul and wholeness and strength and peace. And I don't know about you, but as I look at families around these days, it's really uh, become magnified to me how many folks, how many families are looking for just some solid foundation, something to wrap their lives around, some anchor they can hang on to in this culture that we're living in. And that's gonna, what's going to happen over the next 10 weeks. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to find values. And you're going to find hope. And you're going to be blessed with peace. If you take these very special words, these statements that God has given and apply them to your life, your family. Now, if you're single here today, this entire series will apply to your life. You just have to ask yourself, okay, how does this apply to me in my single situation? If you're a single parent today, I want you to know that this is going to apply to you and, and the family you're trying to raise. And my heart goes out to our single parents because Marcia, on a few occasions, went on a little trip or whatever, left me with the kids. And I want to tell you what, in all sincerity, I sit there and I go, I don't know how single parents do it. It's amazing what you do, and so this will apply to you, and of course, it'll apply to all of our families. So, you ready? Yeah. Let's ask God to bless our hearts. Father, we open ourselves up to your truth, and we ask that you would take, Lord, take our minds and uh, take our behavior, our hearts, and transform us in this series, that we may embrace and apply these truths and come to know your blessings and come to know success in our lives and our families and come to know peace and come to know strength and come to know encouragement and all the things that we long for in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so take your Bibles out and turn with me to the second book in the Bible, Genesis, then the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And you can use the Bible in the chair pocket ahead of you if you want. I'm going to read to you the very first commandment, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll read it aloud together. Exodus chapter 20 begins this way. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Let's read it together. Ready? Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, You must not have any other God but me. Now, that first commandment is the most important one. If you don't get it right, the others aren't really going to work in your life. So we really need to focus on it this morning and get very practical as we move on to the series. We will be practical this morning, but I need you to get this in your heart and your mind. See, this first commandment is all about who's in charge. So I'm going to ask you a question right now. Your life, your individual life right now, who's in charge of your life? Is God in charge of your life? Are you in charge of your life? Is somebody else in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your life? Let me talk to you who are married. Who's in charge of your marriage right now? Let me talk to you as families. Who's in charge of your family right now? You know, when it comes to families, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when it comes to families, doesn't it feel sometimes like everybody wants to be in charge? 
We call that chaos, right? And we call that struggling. We experience that in our families. And there's this um, video clip from Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, World's End, where Captain Barbosa and Captain Sparrow are on the Pearl, and they're both trying to be in charge. They're both trying to be captain. And this, this little scene here reminds me of a family. Watch this. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mm. Captain gives orders on the ship. The captain of the ship has given orders. My ship makes me captain. They be my charts. That makes you chopper. Stow it! The both of you! That's an order! Understand? Sorry. I just thought with the captain issue in doubt, I'd throw in my name for consideration. Sorry. I'll vote for you. All right. Now, sometimes our families feel like a boat, right? And uh, everybody is wanting to be in charge. And sometimes in our families, it feels like we're one minute away from mutiny. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, everybody wants to, like, be in charge. And it starts when we're very young. I mean, it's like the two-year-old who, when mom says, pick up your toys, she or he turns around and says to mom, no, you're not the boss of me. Man, you hear those words, you shudder as a parent, don't you? But it's in all of our natures. And if we were all to be honest this morning, which I'd like us to be, we would have to admit that every one of us has a longing to be in charge of not only our own lives, but the lives of everybody else. Because if I can be in charge of your life, then my life is better. How many of you admit to that desire in your heart to be in charge? Let me see your hands. All right, those of you who didn't raise your hands, you have issues. And... um, (laughs) When we, when we get to some of the other commandments, we'll deal with you there, okay? But all, no, seriously, all of us have that, that struggle in our hearts and our lives. That's why God comes along and says, look, I want you to let me be in charge of your life. I want you in the family to let me be in charge of your family. Husband, I want to be in charge of you as, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a individual as a child in this family let me be in charge and when we let God do that it creates wonderful harmony we got this balloon here and I want you to imagine that this balloon represents God in our hearts and our lives and we've got these three strings here and each one represents a relationship with the family now some families would have a few more strings and if you're a single parent family it's maybe the parent and, and the kids but I want I want to demonstrate something to you uh, to you this morning so let me see how about the three? Who wants to help me out here? Three of you? Okay, over here. Here we go. All right. So here's the balloon. All right. So can you stand? You mind standing? So there's one for dad, one for, that's okay. Yeah, Luke, there, son. One for mom. This worked out great. And let the balloon hang up a little bit. Here's what God is saying He's saying, if, you, if you'll let God be in charge of your life as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a woman, as mom, all right, and as wife, and as son, right? And you each say, God, take charge of me and my role in the family because there's one head, one person in charge, and the rest of us are letting him be in charge. You know what that creates for us? It creates harmony, which is a wonderful thing. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right.
Awesome. Now, here's the good news. I just taught you a powerful lesson, all right? And the lesson is if you let God be in charge of your life, you are going to have harmony in the household. And so let's pray because we're done with the message, all right? That was it. It was really simple, right? Just walk out here and let God be in charge. Time out, time out, time out. It's not that easy. It's easy to say, but man, is that hard to do. How many of you would agree with that? I mean, I just look at my own life and I go, it's hard enough for me to let God be in charge of my individual life. But now I want God to be in charge of the roles that I play, both as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, as a leader. Oh my goodness, I have a hard enough time with just me. Why is it so hard for us to let God be in charge of our lives, whether we're 2 or whether we're 12 or whether we're 20 or whether we're 80 or 90. Why is it so hard? Because of a little phrase that you oftentimes hear used in families. And it goes like this. It's a very simple phrase. It goes like this. Because I told you so. Let's all say that beautiful phrase together. Because I told you so. How many of you students over here have ever heard your parents say that? Let me see your hands. Yes, it's a regrettable thing, isn't it? How many of you parents will admit to having said something like that to your kids? Yes, look at that. And do you know why you do that? Because your parents said it to you, right? We just pass it along. My mom used to say that to me. It used to really make me mad. It used to really tick me off. I'd, I'd say, I'm going out with my friends, and she'd say, um, I want you to be home at a certain time. And then I would say, why? And she would say, because I told you so, or because I said so. And then I'd push my mom a little bit, because I'd want to know, well, why? I mean, I really want to know why. And whenever I would do that, my mom had a classic line that she would give. I don't know where she got it. I don't know if she saw it in a movie. Probably not. She didn't watch movies. I don't know if she heard it or I don't know where it came from. But my mom would always respond to me like this. She'd say, now listen to me, mister. (laughs) And when she said that, it wasn't like she was respecting me or a term of endearment. She said, listen to me, mister. If I tell you that the moon is made out of blue cheese, that's the way it is. Do you understand? Now, don't ask me any more questions. It never made any sense to me why she would say that to me. I knew that the moon wasn't made out of blue cheese. Swiss cheese, right? And I used to just get so hacked off at her because I wanted, I wanted to know why. And I just felt like she was imposing her rules on me and it made no sense to me. You know, some of us look at God the same way. We read or hear about something like the Ten Commandments, and it just seems like a bunch of rules that a grumpy God has placed on our lives. And sometimes I think the mindset we get is that God stands back there with his hands folded like this, and he wrinkles his brow, and he's got deep valleys between his eyes, and he just says, here are the rules. You better keep them if you want to stay on my good side. And it's scary. I mean, we get this feeling like, oh my goodness, you know, God's not going to love me if I don't keep all the rules. That's a terrible way. That is a terrible way to think about God's word. And it's, it's worse to think about God himself that way. But that's kind of mindset in our culture today. When our team went out and surveyed people, and you'll be hearing some of their responses throughout the series on what the Ten Commandments were, a lot of them couldn't remember the ten, or they got them kind of mixed up, or they made up their own. But here's what's interesting. No matter what they said, nearly all of them started with this phrase that we know. And it went like this. Thou shalt not. 
thou shalt not. Say it with me. Thou shalt not. That is so negative, isn't it? I mean, that's just like, here are the rules, and the rules are all about what you cannot do. Well, I want us to look at the Ten Commandments and be surprised. Look at them an entirely different way this morning. So we're going to jump into the very first one. And I want us to read the verse again together. Here we go. Exodus 20. Together. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, notice, first of all, that before God tells them what he wants them to do, he tells them who he is. If you take the word your out of verse 2, you come up with the first phrase. He says, I am the Lord God. He declares this to Israel. He takes them into the wilderness and he says to them, I am the Lord God. What he means is, there's no competitor around. No one you can compare to me. No other God besides me. The rest are sticks and stones and idols and stars and trees in your imagination. But I am the real deal. I am God. I'm the all-knowing God. I'm the all-present God. I am the all-powerful God. It's a bedrock statement that's so important to our faith. We serve. We know because he's revealed himself to us the true and living God. Amen? But I love this next part. Let's take a little bit deeper. If you put the your back in that verse, he says, I am the Lord God. Now he says, I am the Lord your God, second person singular. And all that simply means is that he's saying to Israel, look, I am the supreme God, but I'm your God. And he says it in a way that it means individually to every Israelite. He's saying, I'm your God. I'm your God. I'm your God. I'm your God, I'm your God, I'm your God, I'm your God. I am everyone's God. I'm the supreme God, and I'm your God. Isn't that awesome? If you're an Israelite, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you are nothing, right? You are nothing. You see, I mean, your father Abraham was a, was a wandering Aramean, and then God called him and said, I'll make a nation out of you, and, and I'll be your God. And he takes the people out in the wilderness. He says, I, the omnipotent supreme one, I am your God. But I'm not just your God. Look what he says in verse 3. He said, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. He says, I'm your rescuing God. I'm your saving God. I'm your loving God. I'm the God who came and grabbed you and took you to myself. I have rescued you. You belong to me. I am your God. You know, so many people misunderstand God in the Old Testament. There are a lot of people who don't like to read the Old Testament. And frankly, in all honesty, they really don't like God in the Old Testament. Because they think that God is all about rules and regulations. That you have to keep all his rules in order for him to love you. They love the God of the New Testament, though. And the reason they love the God of the New Testament is because, in their mind, the God of the New Testament isn't about rules. The God of the New Testament is all about love. Hey, let me ask you to think about this with me for a minute. Before God ever gave rules, before God ever gave the Ten Commandments, he was already in a relationship with his people. He was already God, and he was already there rescuing God. He found them in Egypt there. He rescued them from slavery. He restored them to himself, and then God gave them the rules. So I like to put it this way. Read this with me. You do not keep 
God's rules. Let's start over. Right here we go. You do not keep God's rules to have a relationship with God. You keep God's rules because you have a relationship with God. That is so different, isn't it? See, I don't have to keep God's rules in order to be loved by God. No, God already loves me. And my response to him is to want to keep his commands, want to keep his word. That's an entirely different way of thinking about it. We need to apply that in our families as well. So dad, mom, kids, listen to me for just a moment. In your family, I hope that your children don't feel like they have to keep the rules in order for you to love them. Now, it's a whole lot easier to love our kids when they keep the rules, right? But it's not what determines our love for them. I love my son Ben and my daughter Bethany and my son Tim because they were conceived in love, because, because Marsha and I want them in our hearts and our lives. We adopted our youngest son Tim because we loved him. We wanted him to be into our hearts and in our lives. They don't have to keep a bunch of rules to plead to in order for us to love them. Now, it makes it a whole lot easier, as I said, but we love them unconditionally. Here's what happens in a lot of homes. We make our kids feel like they have to earn grace to have our love. They have to be the best in sports or music to have our love. They have to be successful to have our love. They have to work hard to have our love. That's why so many, theolo- so many people's theology and understanding of God is so screwed up today. Because it's all by merits. We've all grown up with a sense that I have to do all these things to please someone, to be loved by them. That's not how it works with God. Thank God. Amen? God loves us. And it has nothing to do with us keeping the rules. So you're saying, wow, pastor, so you're telling me I don't have to keep the rules? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. Or end of the Ten Commandments. Verse 3. It says, you must not... You must not have any other God but me. Say that with me. You must not have any other God but me. Now, what's God saying there? Let's look at an illustration here. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. All right. Now, what I'm about to say may be hard for some folks to take because maybe you're in a battle in your marriage right now or maybe you've been through a very difficult marriage. But this is the way it's supposed to be. When I stand there at the altar before the minister... With my spouse, in my case with my wife, I pledge to her my love. And she pledges to me her love. How many of you who are married, for how many of you would it be all right if your spouse took that love they pledged to you and shared it with another man or another woman? Would you be like, no problem, that's okay. Of course not. You'd get your shotgun out, right? You'd be ticked off. That love was pledged to you. That love belongs to you. That was the commitment. See, when you both stood up there, you made vows to each other. That was the behavior. I'll be faithful. I'll be respectful. I'll be responsible. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. And I'll love you. See, it's one thing to say, I love Marcia, my wife. I gotta put this cough drop back in, sorry. If it gets stuck, just Julie, just come up here and boom, you know, and get it out and we'll move on, all right? But listen carefully. It's one thing to tell your spouse you love them. It's another thing to show it to them. In our vows, 
our behavior is just one of those ways that we show it. God loves you unconditionally. But the way that you show God that you love him in this partnership, in this marriage with God, and he uses that language in the Old and New Testament, the way you show it is by keeping your vows. What are your vows? His word, his commands. In this case, his Ten Commandments. I don't do them to get his love. I do them in response to his love. And in this very first commandment, what God is saying to us is this. I want you to show me that you love me by putting me first in your life and in your relationships. So, over here, we've got these two jars. This jar is very full. It's like to the brim, all right, with all kinds of stuff crammed into it. And this, this could be your life as a single individual, but listen, let's talk about it as your family life. Isn't it amazing how busy we get as families? Our lives just get so packed, don't they? I mean, you've got your spouse, if you're a single parent, then it's you and the kid or the kids. And have you ever noticed that kids come with activities? Yesterday I was at McDonald's getting ready for my message. And a lot of theology happens for me at McDonald's. Don't ask me why. And, um, and watching families come in. They're coming in and some kids have their baseball uniforms on and some kids have their soccer outfits on, right? And uh, they come into McDonald's, they grab their fast food, they sit around me, I listen to them talk, right? And I just hear this hurried conversation, scores, disappointments, hurrahs, victories, but we got to get out of here because there's another game to go to, another activity to take care of, and it's the weekend. Boom, 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 rush. And we're exhausted. We're absolutely exhausted. So you add all the activities in here. Then you add your career in here. Then you add all the auxiliary things in your life, the clubs, the programs you belong to, you know, your gym that you go to, uh, yoga, P90X, or whatever it is that you're happy, to, you know, that you're into, that you're doing, right? You add all that stuff in your life, and man, it is so full. And then you come, and the bald-headed preacher says, you need to make God the biggest part of your life. <clears throat> Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, he's a part of my life. Just don't know if I can make him the biggest part of my life, because my life's kind of full. I mean, he's part of our family, but I don't know if we can make God like the center of our family because our, our family's really, really busy. But you know what? You made me feel guilty today, so I'm going to go home, gather the family around the table, and we're going to figure out how to put God in there. And so we say, family, let's try to put God first, and you end up with a mess. You end up spilling all over the place. doesn't quite fit. In order to fit him, something else has to get displaced. It is ugly. It is messy. Say, Pastor, are you asking me to go home and make a mess? Are you trying to disrupt my family, my marriage? You trying to, I mean, they, if I go home and do that, man, I don't have any more time left. I'm already maxed out. I mean, our family is just up to here right now. And I know what you're saying sounds really good, but it practically doesn't work. What do you want me to do? Well, I'm not, I don't want you to go home and add God to the pile. And create a mess. What I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to start with an empty jar. Say, pick up the clue phone, Dale. 
Remember, mine is full. How on earth can I have an empty one? Oh, that's very easy. You got to get rid of what's in there. You say, Pastor Dale, are you telling me to get rid of my spouse? (laughs) My kids? My job? All those activities? Some of you are getting too happy right now. Stop. (laughs) Don't take this literally, okay? I'm not asking you to literally get rid of those people. Might be asking you to get rid of some other folks or some other things in your life. All I'm simply asking you to do is to empty everything out of your life. To get rid of all the stuff in your life for just a moment. Put it all on the side and start with God first. It's called reprioritizing. So all I'm simply saying is I, I, I want you to go home. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a jar like this, or a bucket, anything. This is practical, okay? You can do this as a single person. You can do this as a family. I'm talking to families right now. And I want you to gather around the table, wherever you're going to do this, and I want you to grab objects, and I want you to start to name all the stuff that's in your life as a family, and I want you to start to put it in there. Make sure the object corresponds to the size of the thing you're talking about, right? Put people in there, dad, mom, kids, right? Relatives, aunts, uncles, whatever it is job, career, all the various activities you're involved in. Think of everything there is. More than likely, you'll not find a jar big enough. So then take all that stuff and place it around there, okay? Then when you're all done, here's what I want you to do. As a family or as an individual, I want you to get like a big bucket, or you may have to have a dumpster, depending on how much stuff you got in your life, all right? And I want somebody in the family to take that thing, all right? I want you to take it over there, okay? And then I want you to just dump it all out, all right? Now, it's going to be messy. It's going to create a mess. Somebody's going to go, oh, what a mess you've just created. Somebody's going to say, look, it went all over the place. Somebody's going to say, we don't have time. Who's going to clean it all up? But I want you to do it. I want you to symbolically do that so that you start with something empty. Because whenever we change our lives, it's messy, right? Whenever we evaluate our lives, it gets kind of difficult. Whenever we talk about starting and stopping things, it's never easy. But I want you to empty it out, and I want you to put that jar back in the middle again and say, okay, not because Dale said this, but because God says this, we're going to put God first. I want you to find an object, just something big to represent God, and I want you to put that in first, okay? Now, I want you to place it in the jar or in the bucket, wherever you're going to use and say, we're going to start with God first. Then I want you to take some other objects, and I want you to put your spouse back in, your kids back in, grandkids back in, whatever it is. And as you're putting these people and these things back in, I want you to run it through a filter. See, I don't want you just to cram everything else back in again. I want you to ask three questions. First question you ask is this. Is that thing, is that person, is that activity we're putting back in our life, our family, will it help us, will it help us love God more? Good question, huh? Second question I want you to ask is, is it going to help us love each other more? And the third question I want you to ask is, is it truth? Is it truth? So as you do this, you're asking three questions. Are these activities going to help me love God more? It's going to help me love you more. Is it truth? As you evaluate each thing that you put into that jar, 
to help me love God more. You say, you're being really repetitive. Yes, because I want you to get this. So help me love God more. Just help me love the people that I know God's put in my life that I'm supposed to love. Will help me love them more. Will help me help them love God more as well. And is all that, is it truth? Now, as you do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be amazed at the kinds of things that you can put back into your life. And how when you put God first, you end up having an amazing amount of room. But here's the other thing you're going to find. I love this. You're going to find that maybe you can't fill the whole jar up. That maybe because you ask those three questions, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to just leave out. I know that kids here are going, like, homework? Oh, yes. Sorry, I hate to tell you this, but God has a purpose for your lives. And he wants to use you in your career or whatever he calls you to. And to prepare you for that, you need to go to school and do your homework. It's going to help you love God more and love others more. just blew that for them. Anyway, um, they're saying, like, I really like this too. You said that, Pastor Dale. But you're going to find that you have some room left in your life for stuff that doesn't help you love God more, that doesn't help you love each other more as a family. And honestly, it's not truth. And what that creates is what's called margin. Everybody say that word with me. Margin. One more time. Margin. Not margarine, but margin. Empty space. It's okay to have margin in your life. It's okay not to have your life filled up to here and overflowing. It's okay to have space. In fact, one of the commands is all about that. The seventh day, the Sabbath day, is about having space in your life where you can quiet your soul, where you can enjoy God and enjoy each other. It's all right. Don't listen to the voice of this world that says you have to cram your life with busyness and materialism. It's a lie straight from hell that's meant to dissuade us from God and get us sidetracked. Don't believe it for a minute. But believe God when he says, prioritize your life, start with me first, and then run everything through the filter, whether it helps you love me more, whether it helps you love each other more, whether it's truth. You see, God says if we put him first, he'll bless our lives. And I really believe that. I honestly believe it. I've seen it in people's lives. And God's not asking you and me to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. Do you know that Jesus emptied himself, it says in Philippians 2? He gave up his place in glory to come here to do what? To put you and me first. The supreme awesome God says, I want to be your God. And the Bible says, even while we were sinners, before we could keep one command, before we could ever keep the rules, it says, Christ died for us. He put us first. Now the question is, will you put God first? Lord, I just pray today that we'll each go home and set up our own jar. As family, set up our jar. And we take a long look at what's in our lives as we put all those objects in, oh God. Go, Lord, I pray that you give us the ability to pour them all back out again and to put you first. And God, as we go to put every little piece back in, may we ask ourselves, is this activity going to help me love God more? It's going to help me love my family more, people more. Is it of truth? And Lord, when something doesn't meet the test, when it's a child who says, that's not the truth, our son or a daughter says, that doesn't help me love God more, Lord, help us as adults to listen. 
And God, help us to put back in that jar only what pleases and honors you. And God, give us the ability to learn to live with less, less noise, less toys, less things, so we can enjoy you and each other more, oh God. I pray that there'll be a revolution in our lives here at the Compass Church and in our families. Because today, oh God, we decide we're going to put you first. Because you're God and you deserve to be first place. Amen.